May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. All right. Well, good morning. All right, good to hear you all <laughs> and to see you all. Um, today's scriptures. Today's scriptures uh, call for a certain boldness on our part. We are to take our cue from Elisha, who, when the great prophet Elijah said to him, tell me what I may do for you, he boldly replied, please let me inherit a double share of your spirit. Now this, brothers and sisters, is the perfect prayer as we head toward Lent. Lord, bless me with a double share of your life-giving and empowering spirit so that I may have the strength to do good and the strength to endure life's pain and sorrows. Now is not the time to be timid and shy with our prayers. There's too much going on in the world. Am I right? Right. There's too much going on. There is too much need. There is too much crying out. And so this is not the time for us to be coming to Christ and to God sheepishly, hat in hand, as if God were a miserly deity whose first impulse is to say no. No. God delights in giving you a blessing. We have no trouble ordering a double cheeseburger or jumping up out of our seats when the daily double shows up on Jeopardy. Then we should have no problem committing this request to our prayers for we need a double portion to do the work that we have been given to do to proclaim the gospel by word and deed. Sure, Jesus can stand there in the synagogue in, in Nazareth and say, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. But we are simply human. Like Elisha, we aren't great prophets. We need a double portion. We need extra. So let us be bold and confident in our prayers. We have already received the great revelation that is yet to be revealed to the disciples in today's gospel story. We know of the resurrection, but today finds us at the transfiguration, which is the high point of epiphany, the consummation of the journey that we began in Advent. In a, in a sense, brothers and sisters, we can think of today as if we have climbed up a long mountain, Coming up to this point, as I say, a journey that began in Advent and then continued through the Christmas season. Early last month, the wise men arrived, drawn by a star in prophecies. A king had been born, but they did not find him in a palace. They found him in a manger. John baptized him in the Jordan River, which is going to be very important for us to consider in today's sermon and in the scriptures that we have. There, Jesus heard God say, you are my son, my beloved. With you, I am well pleased. And we hear that same voice today. Only now, it does not speak to Jesus alone, but also to Peter, 
to James and to John and by extension to each and every one of us. And what does that voice say? This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Listen to him. Now, this is not a, a gentle request on God's part. This is not sort of a, a take it or leave it suggestion, you know, listen to him, maybe not listen to him, do whatever the heck we want to do. This is an imperative statement. Listen to him, not only to what he says, but to what he does. He does not linger on the mountain, for there is work to do. The world awaits with all its sorrows and suffering, and yes, its desperate cry for hope. A few verses after today's passage, and I, you know, I always want to sort of lift up sometimes that, you know, the, the scriptures that we get in the lectionary, sometimes they cut things off just before the real meat sometimes happens. But just a few verses after this passage, we're talking about the work that is to be done. Jesus will hear the pleas of a father whose son is tormented by painful convulsions. And the father will say, if you are able to do anything, have pity on us and help us. And Jesus will reply, if you are able, all things can be done for the one who believes. And then the father cries out, as any parent would, as any beloved friend or partner would, indeed, as anyone whose faith has wavered in the face of overwhelming misery and disease and sorrow, as anyone would, cries out, he says, I believe, yes, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Relieve my child, my friend, my beloved. Has anyone ever been in that position? Racked by whatever the circumstances is, and you know you are a person of faith, and you are strong, and you are in the Bible, and you are coming to church, and yet you are confronted with something, and you say, Lord, I believe, but help me. Help my unbelief. And so there is healing, and that is the work of Christ. That is part of the work that is given to us to heal our sorrowed and broken world. You can see, given all that, why we need a double portion of the Spirit. Yes, we can have our mysterious mountaintop experiences, our times of transcendent praise and worship, when the world's cares drop away and our souls lift up and soar on song and love and joy. And like Jesus and his inner circle, we have to leave the mountain. We have to go back to the world where we proclaim not ourselves. We proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. And Paul's statement to the Corinthians is inspiring, isn't it not? We proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord. What a wonderful thing. But yet at the same time, he says words that should be shocking to us and should bring us to a halt because he says that we do so and he does so as a slave. As a slave, as I say, that should give us pause. That calls for a type of humility that may need a double portion of the Spirit to achieve. 
When I say it should give us pause, it indeed gave the translators of the King James Bible pause. You will go through that Bible, you will not find the word slave there. You'll find bondservant, bondsman, maybe servant, but slave with its echoes of the sugar cane fields in Jamaica and in the Caribbean? No, not slave. That is too much. That is the shock of the gospel that sometimes we disregard and lay aside and don't feel its impact. And so we have to be bold, gathering this all up, bold in our request. We come to the Lord in prayer and perhaps hear in our souls the words of Elijah. Tell me what I may do for you. Tell me, the Lord says, don't hold back. Elijah's request is bold, a hard thing. That is not Elijah's to give. That role belongs to God. We find these two today, as I said earlier, in no ordinary place. This is a liminal space. This is the Jordan River, a holy place where they can move from the promised land and return to the land of the ancient 40-year wandering. This is where Joshua and the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant stepped into the river and stopped the flow of water so the Israelites could pass on on dry land. But it was not they that made the river stop, but God. And so too with the great prophet, when he strikes the water with his mantle, the power of God working through him. Guess what? Elijah did the same thing. When I say that sometimes the lectionary stops a little bit too early, there's two more verses in that 2 Kings passage that will tell you what happens there, that Elijah's prayer is answered. Because as his master goes up, in the chariots of fire and horsemen. And as he cries out, Father, Father, the chariots of horsemen and Israel, Father, the mantle falls. And Elijah, Elisha picks it up as his master did, as he just saw his master do. And he strikes the water and he says, Where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And the waters part. And he crosses over back to the promised land, strengthened for the ministry that awaits. Today finds us, brothers and sisters, as I said, on a, a spiritual mountaintop, if you will. But a time of deep prayer awaits for all of us. When you consider and think about it, we are a strange and peculiar people, setting aside 40 days to engage in forgiveness, repentance, and reconciliation. How countercultural. For some folks, just gosh darn weird. What are we doing setting aside this time? As I say, you know, others will see this as a completely foreign concept, difficult to wrap their heads around. Some may know of this and disregard what is happening. 
perhaps deeming it, again, too risky. These ideas make us vulnerable. They ask us to humble ourselves through acts of confession, contrition, and renunciation. And yet, through prayer, we can find our own liminal space. We can step at our own sort of Jordan River. And in the words of Howard Thurman, we can seek a lull in the rhythm of doing. Thurman goes on to quote these words from George Fox, the founder of the Quakers. Be still and cool in thy own mind and spirit from thy own thoughts. And then thou wilt feel the principle of God to turn thy mind to the Lord from whence cometh life. In these quiet moments, we can pray the words spoken by Elisha on that distant day by the Jordan River. We can be bold in our prayers. Say, the Lord wants us to be bold. Doesn't want us to come timidly with hat in hand, whispering shyly, almost afraid. But be bold in our prayer and say with conviction, please, Lord, bless me. Bless me with a double share of your spirit and know that as was done on that ancient day, he will do it and you will be strengthened to do the work that you have been given to do, to endure the sorrows that may come to you, but to always walk in the light of his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.